and we're live oh boy i am so excited to be back with all of you today pop culture theologians it's me your main boy john um and i'm here to discuss with you his dark materials episode two titled the idea of the north welcome back if you're just discovering this podcast, it's a podcast called The Pop Culture Theologians. It's two, but one for right now, um, academics who worship at the altar of pop culture and theology and break down our favorite TV shows um, with a theological gender class and overall sassy lens. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter at Pop Theologians and, you know, if you want to give me a shout out on Twitter, you can follow me at jerickson85. Some of you listeners to the show may be asking yourself, Marcy, your voice has gotten really low. Well, a little update on my best friend, Marcy. We love her. I love her. She'll be back in a couple of episodes. But for right now, you just have little old me. Well, not little. I am like 6'4". But you have little old me to break down this show and every other show that we will do with you in the next couple of weeks as Marcy does amazing things and continues to fight the good fight because that's who our girl is. Because although we are pop culture junkies, we're also activists and it takes a lot of work to do that. So I'm going to try and do my best to embody her, her filthy mouth, because let's be honest, she swears a lot more than me and give you all the shade and breakdown that you deserve. So if you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button, leave a review, always five stars, of course. And we're going to have a lot of fun as we break down some of uh, this amazing television that we're seeing right now in His Dark Materials. And we've got a lot to talk about. So some of you who have followed the show know we sometimes do what the fucks of the week but with his dark material since it is children's literature or young adult literature i'm so sorry marcy because i know she'll be listening young adult literature um we're giving you some of our favorite children's books um that really highlight what a lot of the work that we see being done critically within this type of field um, and in honor of our main girl, Marcy, our HBIC herself, she chose this book this week, and it is, of course, The Hunger Games by Susan Collins. Our love for Katniss, our love for everything Pan Am, we love it. We are here for it. If you haven't yet, make sure you go back and listen to our episodes where we break down all of the movies. Um, we throw in a lot of book shade there. Um, many of you who have listened before know I'm not the biggest fan of certain movies. I think they're a waste of time, but Marcy doesn't, and that's okay. And the joy of this right now is it just being myself is Marcy doesn't get to tell me she's right. So for the foreseeable future, and when she comes back, um, she's probably telling up all the your rights um, that I'm going to have to owe her. But for the time being, if you haven't read it, I can imagine you haven't if you're listening to this podcast. But get out there. The Hunger Games is an incredible book. Book series. Mm, Mockingjay wasn't so good. But... Um, it's a little shade, but we'll see where we go from there. And there's like a whole new book series coming out because of course, you know, monopolies, capitalism and all these things just want to continue to get the money that they think that they deserve because of all the ways in which these shows continue to percolate and draw attention to them and 
all the fun stuff that we do. I'm sure there'll be a TV show on Apple TV or Disney Plus or HBO Max or one of the other million streaming services that have launched recently. So that's Marcy's, one of Marcy's favorite books and you should go out there and check it out. Um, so with that, I'm so excited to dive back into this exciting world of his dark materials. It is getting better and better. There is so much going on, so many juicy, amazing outfits that Miss Coulter, the HBIC herself, are wearing. So let's go back into the world of dust. Okay, well, we left off the last episode with Lyra going away with Miss Coulter and leaving Jordan College and trying to settle into a new world where she can go help find Roger. So Lyra is settling in to Mrs. Coulter's luxurious London apartment. This is like an incredible apartment that we see her living in. I mean, frankly, in my rent-controlled apartment, I don't have that type of a view, but we all know that she's living her best 1% life. So um, Lyra came with her, though, under one of the stipulations that she is actively searching for Roger. Hint, hint. She's not searching for him because she knows exactly where he is because she's the one that kidnapped him. But at least Lyra is getting to live her best 1% life at the moment. And we're starting to see Lyra's different side of her. Before, when we were introduced to her, she was kind of like this wild child running running around Jordan College and really, you know, living with her friends, the Egyptians, Roger, Billy Costa, all the amazing people that were on there and in her life. And she left them because Miss Coulter promised her this new life, promise of the North and all these things she didn't see. She tempted her for lack of a better biblical word for where we're going here. However, what we understand though, is that there's a bigger plot going on underneath just the search for Rogers that the Egyptians are attempting to try to rescue the missing children that are continuously being taken from them. And they're under unsuccessful. And we start understanding that there's a real class breakdown and the lack of resources that we're starting to see from the people in the magisterium to those in the Egyptian clans. When we really start to think about how this world is shaped, there's a class hierarchy. There's the scholars, there's the people that are loyal to the magisterium, who they reward in whatever fashions we see on the show. And then there are the Egyptians who are really living, you know, and out there with the working class, with the people. And it's no shock to any of us who are common critics of what's going on in today's culture that they're the ones whose children are getting gobbled up. Um, And so the Egyptians are out there actively trying to search for and find a new way to get their children back from a mysterious force that is taking them. And it's something that we really um, are going to be following for the next rest of the series, actually, and but specifically this episode. Um, back at Oxford, though, the master of Jordan College denies Lord Boreal, a uh, consortorial uh, court priest, access to Stanislaus's Grumman's or hot priest as Marcy and I call him um, because let's be real he'll always be hot priest in our hot in our hearts 
because he knows exactly what Boreal's trying to do and accomplish here. He's trying to find out more and more about what he was trying to do up in the north and if he was successful or not. And so as a result, the master of Jordan College isn't going to give him permission because of one academic sanctuary, as well as making sure that they still protect whatever Lord Azrael is going on. So he completely denies it. However, like with all good people, Boreal then just travels through a portal to an alternate Oxford, our Oxford actually, where he hires this mercenary to like go hunt down Grumman because when you can't get it done in your own world, why not just cross universes and get it done there, right? I mean, how many times have we all just wanted to say, you know what, I'm just going to go into a different universe and find out what's going here, on here. But we see how easy it is and the ripples through the universe where he can easily cross over. And I was one starting to realize or think, is this something that's common or are there only certain places where the breaks between the universes are obvious and who has access to them? It's kind of like who has access to this whole world, this whole type of power. And obviously it's no mistake that the Magisterium is one of those people that is holding onto those forces. Um, all along, though, we have Lyra back living her best 1% life with her friend Pantalamone. Oh, Pan, I just love this little creature. And every time he comes up on the television screen, my dog Winnie just goes crazy. But like with all devious little children, as Miss Coulter, I'm sure, would say, they're starting to grow really wary of Miss Coulter's monkey demon. And also, I am too. It never talks at all. Um, as we see how demons interact with their humans, it just sits there silently, constantly. So it's a big WTF, but what is going on? But multi but moving on to the ways in which Miss Coulter's monkey is creepy, but then also how her close ties to the Magisterium are just honestly triggering. She lives in this incredible apartment. It's really not clear on what she actually does or how she makes her money besides just holding on to power and obviously lying to little girls. But when we start to really break down where she's going the, and this power, she's clearly a person who has no problem doing what she needs to get that power. She's in a world that's dictated and ruled by men and this hegemony that is dictated from the top down of patriarchy, which she... I don't know if she's trying to topple, but she's living in it and she's trying to do everything she can. And apparently she's succeeding because that's a lot of gold plating in that apartment. Okay. I mean, let's get real here. But Lyra and Pan are not having any of it because they're still innocent. They're still looking around and trying to understand the ways in which the world is working in this whole new world. And Lyra as we start to really see throughout this episode as well as the last episode, it's hard to lie to her. She has this internal almost alethiometer where she is understanding that she knows when people are lying to her. So it's really quite fascinating to see this character develop from the Lyra that we met in the previous episode to where we are now. And because of the way in which they're pacing the entire show, the books, um, and how Lyra's development is explored, it's going fairly quickly. Um, but one thing that Lyra does is she starts to eavesdrop on a conversation with a magisterium member, Father McPhail, um, and Mrs. Coulter, um, 
finds her and it is not good because Mrs. Coulter tells her to go hide in the room and not come out because I don't think it was in her plan to let them know that she was holding Lyra in her apartment or keeping her. And so as a result, they kind of find out that she's there. And then Mrs. Coulter doesn't like being disobeyed. And this is really where we start to see it break down and understand that she orders her demon to attack Pan. And before even doing this, you start to see how a demon and a person are connected. And when you hurt one, you hurt the other. And they're connected in this unbreakable bond that Mrs. Coulter is really fascinated in. And then ultimately during this attack, she reveals that Lord Asriel is Lyra's father. And if you're a faithful reader, this is where the shows start dropping a lot of information and hints about future books, other books that are just being written or appendices where we start to understand the world of the golden compass um, and his dark materials a little bit more with complexity and understanding that not only does she reveal that Lord Azrael is Lyra's father, but she seems pretty upset about it. Um, and if you are watching her face, something seems to be really wrong about why she would reveal that to Lyra. And as a result, Lyra's had this whole big awakening that now her whole world has been lied to. However, as I said before, you can really understand that Lyra maybe already knew that Asriel was her father and that Asriel was lying to her this whole time. It just wasn't her uncle Asriel and that he cared about her just a little bit more than maybe an uncle would. Um, definitely a distant father, definitely one of those Maury episodes of, oh, he's your father. But what we start to understand is that Lyra's, the lies that Lyra has been told are not gonna hold up for much longer because she's becoming more aware of the world in which she's around. Additionally, then we get back to the HBIC call to herself and her unresolved feelings when it comes to Azrael. I mean, I would too if James McAvoy wasn't in love with me, but like still girl, we need to get her into some therapy, like stat, because she's got a lot of unresolved anger. She's got a lot <laughs> that she's not telling anyone and that if you've read the books you know where it's going from um and coming from and going to but girl Coulter, come on just you know wear those fabulous clothes and just give a boy a break or something i mean let's go here but this is where we understand why she starts to be so mad because lord asriel has this person that she's been looking for lyra and the larger purpose Lyra obviously is going to be playing in this entire universe. So, you know, not just all about, you know, making, you know, James McAvoy's character love you. I mean, I would make James McAvoy's character love me whenever I could. However, um, we need to get Miss Coulter um, a little bit of help. Maybe she can use like one of those apps where it could be like a mobile therapy device or something like that. Um, but then what happens is, is, you know, Lyra's whole world is starting to be crashed down a little bit all of the information that she thought she knew that she thought was you know true to her isn't and it's no 
reason why then the scene cuts to Miss Coulter visiting and kind of going on this long, really secretive journey to visit the children that have been gobbled, specifically Roger, Billy, and these other kidnapped Egyptians, and seeing them and trying to shepherd them away because in the previous episode, we found out that they're not lasting in any one space for too long because of how they're constantly being followed by the Egyptians and other people to find them. So Miss Coulter goes to visit Roger and Billy and everyone else. And she starts to have what I really feel is like a really twisted scene because she starts lying to the children and telling them to all write cards and letters to their friends and family. Um, And unlike Roger, unlike Billy, Roger doesn't have any family. So he wants to write to Lyra and, Mrs. Coulter knows that and you know with them writing these cards they're almost brainwashing them and giving them this sense of hope not knowing what's really in store for them and thinking that you know their families are going to let them know that they're okay that these people who have them are going to send their letters but at the end of the day when she ends up leaving she then throws them into an incinerator incinerator and the look of pleasure on Mrs. Coulter's face as she burns those letters and with zero remorse just knows that she is this hardened character and the love that you kind of see for Lyra that breaks down that hard rock on who she is is interesting because we're trying to figure out where is the soul of this person? And it's not in the form of her demon monkey. I mean, it is actually in this world, but I'm trying to understand what her ultimate end game is here. And the actress playing her is doing a fabulous job, of course. I mean, it's Ruth Wilson. But when we start to really look about how she's actually supposed to feel about Lyra in the books and Lyra's purpose, it's a little bit different. But nevertheless, she's continuing to move on, but she is obsessed with her mission to get these kids to the North to continue their experimentation on them for what they're trying to do revolving around dust. So poor Roger, poor Billy, and they've all been gobbled up, but you know, we're going to be continuing to follow that journey as they move forward up to the North. But while Miss Coulter is being all shady lady, um, Lyra then goes and breaks into Mrs. Coulter's study. And it's like this very like James Bond-esque scene where she travels through the ventilations. As someone who had, has like claustrophobia in a way of like being in those really small spaces, the fact that she was like, she couldn't even move. Like I kept thinking like, what happens if she gets stuck? It was a little shocking, but she then goes through the vents because she realizes that's how Mrs. Coulter's demon can be away from her because he's traveling in and around the air shafts um, and the ventilation shafts in the apartment building while Mrs. Coulter's in another room not to alert people because he's trying to spy on, on Lyra. But she goes into her study, breaks in, and she finds out that Mrs. Coulter is involved with the General Oblation Board of London, that she actually is the gobblers, and that she actually is the one behind this thing, this force that took her best friend as well as Billy and everyone else. And, you know, she's constantly having these truths or these lies ripped 
and retransformed and helping better shape the world in which she's been forced into, but it's making it become a lot more clear for Lyra. And right now, in the end of the day, she just now knows that Mrs. Coulter is not a good person. But Mrs. Coulter knows a lot and she's promised Lyra a lot. So she's not really at the moment trying to figure out what the purpose is. She needs to get away from Mrs. Coulter because she now knows that she, the only way she's ever going to find Billy is by herself and through her own actions. Mrs. Coulter's not going to do it for her. Mrs. Coulter has Billy herself and Lyra finds that out. So, you know, Lyra understands that, you know, Mrs. Coulter's demon as well as Mrs. Coulter do not have the best intentions when it comes to her. Um, So then, you know, Lyra understands that, you know, she can't really uh, trust what's going on in her apartment or when she's sleeping because that demon monkey is literally watching her all the time. But as she then is in the study she starts to understand that the elevator is coming back up with Mrs. Coulter and that she's back and she has to get out ASAP. And she rushes into her bedroom and then Mrs. Coulter comes in to say hello. And she's kind of all like hot and bothered because she's just ran through like a little small little ventilation shaft. She got there through there way too quickly, by the way. But she doesn't want to give anything to Mrs. Coulter to make her think that she was doing or sneaking around in her office. So here we go. But then uh, she hides and uh, covers up all the ventilation shafts that night before she goes to bed. So she doesn't allow her demon monkey to like kind of spy on her anymore. And she hides the alethiometer even more so and now keeps it with her because she knows Mrs. Coulter's not, <laughs> not her homegirl anymore. Okay. Um, but then we flash forward to this, what I'm calling a 1% party um, that's held in Mrs. Coulter's apartment and every swanky person is there they wear fabulous outfits and lyra is serving champagne in some reason clearly she is serving mrs coulter in some way but you know it's so it's like just so reminiscent of like child labor and the ways in which people just have no regard for children but she's walking around serving champagne and she serves it to this journalist named adele star minister and she is trying to let Lyra know that FYI, Mrs. Coulter is actually the ablation board, that Mrs. Coulter is the one that's behind the gobblers. And Mrs. Coulter is the one that she needs to run away from as quickly as possible. And is what understanding that Lyra is not safe in Mrs. Coulter's home and that if she remains to stay there, the gobblers and everyone else are just going to be out there kidnapping children. And that's something that Lyra cannot do. So as a result, um, Boreal and uh, Mrs. Coulter see Adele speaking to Lyra and obviously freak out because clearly Adele came with all of the receipts and Boreal takes her away and says, you're not supposed to be here. You're like a journalist. This is not a first amendment world, obviously. Um, And T takes her downstairs and puts her in the back of his car. The look on her face was terrifying because she knew what was happening. And we all know Boreal doesn't really have the best intentions for people and what happens is is boreal kills adele by crushing her demon 
further emphasizing that if you kill someone's demon, you kill them. And if you kill the, uh, the person, you'll kill their demon. But as a result, Lyra and Pan flee. They get the f- out of Mrs. Coulter's apartment with the alethiometer while this is all going on because she is terrified of what, what's going to happen next. And she runs and leaves because the lengths that Mrs. Coulter and Boreal and the Magisterium will go to to preserve power is quite terrifying. Um, but that is how power is, though, right? We've broken this down a lot on the podcast that absolute power corrupts absolutely and as a result mrs coulter doesn't want to give it up but she then discovers that lyra's gone and she's trying to figure out how and where she can get her but lyra and pan are like peace mrs coulter gotta go um so you know it's quite fascinating to see Mrs. Coulter freak out in that fabulous dress and understand that Lyra got the hell out of Dodge. But here we are in understanding the ways in which Lyra is not going to be staying there any longer. She knows she's not safe and she knows Mrs. Coulter is bad news. She is bad, bad news. Also, Boreal is like this twisted version of Luther, that TV show Luther, that obviously is incredible but with a snake and it's just terrifying because he actually does represent this really evil type character um with really what's going on in the world um of the magisterium and what's actually happening up north and how scared they actually are of lord Azrael, of the scholars at jordan college and then ultimately what what mrs coulter's trying to do to protect lyra and boreal is in my opinion, aware of that in the show, and it's clear because he's trying to keep everything and all the pieces of their puzzle put together. So what's understanding here is that Lyra is now out in the world, running as quickly as she can to get away. And we see the gobblers and their demon um, in the corner um, as she's you know trying to rest. And before you know it, they capture Lyra and Pan and it's the end of the episode. It's almost left, it's left on a cliffhanger that we don't know who or where um, she's going, um, who took her, where she's going. We assume it's the gobblers or where she's going to go. Is she going to go up north? But nevertheless, she was taken. And it's really scary because Lyra obviously is our heroine and we want nothing to happen to her. Um, One of the really important things that I think that this episode really stressed was trying to show the relationship that Mrs. Coulter wants to have with Lyra and crafting it into the woman that she wants Lyra to be, almost just like herself. This isn't a spoiler alert because we're going to get there in our next episode. Um, But um, if you can read the tea leaves as we should say mrs coulter wants lyra to look and be like her because she wants to mold her into this person of power and privilege and you know is it to save her is it to make sure that she doesn't you know fall into these ways of her father lord asriel of being you know him Um, and going up to the north and traveling or what is her actual intention it's something that we really still don't know much about because the plot's continuing to unravel around what she's actually doing with all of these children and ultimately 
what's actually going on in the North and why it's so important that she continues to kidnap children and bring them up there. So that's the end of the episode. I mean, it is just continually to grow and build this beautiful world. And if you remember all the stuff I've said about many of the shows we've broken down in the past, the world building is just something I cannot talk more about. Like, I mean, it is just incredible. I mean, I want to just break it down scene by scene, but I'm just left there, mouth agape. I mean, these worlds are beautiful, and it's so nice to see shows take such a wonderful and craftsman-like tone to creating a world that is supposed to be like ours, as you see when Boreal goes over to the other Oxford, but keeping them here and shaping the world of this magisterium-controlled, very male-dominated, children, you know, hierarchy, you know, very centric type of way in which they're trying to consolidate power into one and one source. It's just fascinating from their version of London to how they travel around. I'm just really impressed with this being the second episode of a series, a fantasy series, nevertheless, that's really putting its money where its mouth is to better understand the ways in which this show could have so much potential and I really hope it does because the show is just becoming something that we're seeing a lot more on Twitter obviously in a couple of episodes we're going to get to some of our favorite characters that we see on it not you know uh with Lee Scoresby and everyone there but the show continues to grow and it's so fascinating to continue to watch it go on so with that being the end of the episode you know we've got a lot to look forward to We've got a lot more demon monkeys to be afraid of. We've got a little bit more spying we've got to go on to, which is why um, episode three is titled The Spies, of course, because if you've read the books, you know what Mrs. Coulter does next when she can't find Lyra. But at the end of the day, this show, more fabulous outfits by the head bitch in charge herself, Coulter, and that freaking demon monkey are going to just continue to constantly make and help us understand the world of the magisterium, the world of dust, and really what the hell is going on with these gobblers and what they're doing to these children. So I hope you'll join us next week. I'm so excited. Make sure you go and leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, um, SoundCloud, Stitcher, everything. Um, you know, give some sass to Marcy online, tweet us, and follow along with us as we continue down this amazing world of his dark materials and all of the joy that it is bringing us. See you next week. 